All right. Hello, David Cho. Hello. <laughs> uh, this is. We decided to call this uh, season two of Upstream and not make it out to be a you know hiatus, but season two, yeah. episode two. Um, thank you, everybody, for your warm and kind uh, reception to this podcast. I've been getting random messages and random people um, talking about it. What about you? For you? Same. Yeah, it's been interesting to hear. Um, it's funny because, like, you know, like you have a group of close friends that for your whole life have been there or at least you know last several yeah. years yeah and at least for me i've done so many things that i feel like they don't care yeah, <laughs> most of the time yeah. what i'm doing yeah. <laughs> so it was interesting to hear some of those friends um actually listen in and ask me stuff and yeah it was, it was really interesting like what i noticed was people want more detail mm-hmm. i think we were covering a lot of bases so we might mm-hmm. go over things fast which is um which is good news for all of our listeners because I think we're going to go into a little bit of detail today. We are. And um, I'm going to be the one who pries into the last what, two years or almost three years of David's life um, as he was building his tech company. Um, I had the pleasure of sort of seeing him transition into being full-time founder and all that. But we've had really great conversations with it. And I thought this week, we can talk about the story of Stat and story of what David's doing. And next week, we can talk about what I'm doing sort of more in depth. But um, this will be sort of an interview style of what we're doing. And so, yeah, I think I think you could, I think let's start with you giving just a quick, like, the, what did the, is it the elevator pitch, escalator pitch of yeah, what Stat the, is? And then, <laughs> and then we'll go from the, and then we'll go from the, uh, and then we'll, and then I'll, we'll start from the beginning. <laughs> yeah, the escalator pitch would be really long. <laughs> <laughs> Depending on the um, escalator. Yeah, no. Okay, so Stat. <laughs> Stat is the company I co-founded with Amanda Sabria and Paul Moon. We are essentially, I mean, our kind of messaging is that we're an automated inbox that surfaces alerts and updates from project management and code repository tools like Jira and GitHub. But in more layman's terms, all it means is that we're connecting currently uh, disconnected sources of data and uh, revisualizing all of that data into a simple, accessible, intuitive place so that managers, specifically engineering and product managers, can have a better sense of where their teams are at, what their teams are doing, what progress has been made. And on top of that, you know, in addition to a new product, we really want to think about management in a new way. I think um, all of us on the founding team have had unique experiences as managers or um, being managed. So we come with yeah. a, you know, pretty interesting point of view on that. But, but yeah, that's, that's what I've been doing. Um, that's that for now, at least. Um, and so I think I want to start with how you met Amanda and Paul and what was sort of the beginning conversations of something you guys had probably no idea it was going to become what it is now. Okay. We'll start with Amanda. So Amanda and I met on, um, on Instagram, actually, I don't remember exactly what it was, but I, maybe I liked some of her posts or this and that. And we started just getting into it on the DMS. And, um, I found out she was at the time, this was a few years ago, probably 2017. Um, she was doing uh, a company called partner. So partner was a creative marketplace 
basically like think of it as a LinkedIn that matches creatives of all disciplines um, to brands. And so she was building that out. She had gotten some funding. Uh, it was kind of growing within the Atlanta creative scene. Atlanta's creative scene is extremely rich and dynamic. And so it was a great place to start. And, you know, we talked, we, we talked about me coming on to some capacity. We didn't really know how or what, but the conversation kind of subsided, you know, uh, a few months, maybe a year went by. Uh, we re-engaged. And at that time, she had a kind of like a chief marketing type person on board. So what happened was I interviewed, like a real interview. I did a project. They paid me for it. And I came on. Um, so, you know, really long story short, it was it was a bunch of nothing and all of a sudden something. And then we start to get into the work with partner. We did a lot of like positioning work, messaging work. Uh, strategy, planning, all that type of stuff, getting into the product itself. And then um, at some point along that journey, we brought Paul along just because she needed more development um, help and support. And I'll get to the Paul story in a bit, but we were um, working through partner, working through partners kind of, there was a lot of issues with development because we were kind of pretty far along from a from a business and company standpoint but we just couldn't see into what where the product was like what was happening where was the development timeline why were things not getting done and we realized that maybe this is the problem we ought to be solving and not partner so we'll pause there wow. paul and i met many many years ago when i was in college I think we met in, um, he's going to know better than me, like most things, but probably like 2011 or 2012. Maybe it was 2010. I don't remember exactly. I went to Seattle to visit a, a good friend of mine, a mutual friend of ours. And, you know, we stayed over at his place, uh, at my friend's place. His name's John. We stayed at John's place for a while. And, and you know, I met Paul and immediately we clicked. Paul has a really interesting background and I won't get into his background, but, but yeah, we stayed friends ever since. And Paul helped me through the times when I was, when I was building this company called cuz cuz was like a nonprofit design agency. We weren't even nonprofit. We didn't have a designation. We were just not basically what we're doing was we're trying to identify founders of socially good companies and helping them with their brand and design work. So we helped a company called We Love Buhai with their rebranding, a lot of their positioning, messaging work. We helped, um, uh, what was the other company called? I'm blanking, but we helped another company that does more like housing for uh, entrepreneurs. They're basically rethinking uh, co-living and co-working. So the ho- they rent a house, but also that house has other entrepreneurs, other founders, and has programming for those folks. Like real and world, so, uh, real world MTV, but you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was really interesting. I'll link the name. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm blanking on the name there, but, but we were working on that kind of stuff. And Paul was kind of our engineer. He built our website. He was just kind of in the background, helping me run through that company and what we're about. And yeah. And then at the same time we were building cuz Paul was also transitioning into software engineering. And so he was going to boot camp and then he was like, Man, I finished boot camp. What should I do now? Where should I go? I was like, dude, just come to Atlanta. That's kind of a joke. 
But then he's like, okay, I'll apply. So he applies. He gets a job in Atlanta. And so he moves across the country. And um, yeah, we just got even closer from then. So basically everything I did after that was with Paul. So after Cuz, we did um, Cook. Cook was like a food pop-up kind of party planning or cater. I don't know. We, I don't know what we were exactly. But basically we made food um, at pop-ups. And he helped... <laughs> He was a co-founder with that too. We lived together. Mm. Um, so yeah, those are, that's how we met our two co-founders. Very different ways of meeting, but um, yeah, I don't think I could do, I wouldn't be here without both of them. Interesting. You were, you were the glue essentially. Yeah, that's, that's true too. I was a glue between Amanda and Paul because, oh, sorry, get back to Amanda's story. So once we pivoted from partner or we're, we're considering the pivot, we're like, okay, should we do this? Should we not? Paul was already involved. And then we were like, okay, fuck it. Let's do it. So we pivoted. Paul was mm-hmm. brought on full-time as a co-founder and kind of like chief product, chief tech technology officer. Um, and yeah, so that's where we're at now. And so we've just been building this company for the last couple of years, um, largely in private and in the last few months, largely in public. So um, a lot of transitions. We went through a lot as a co-founding team that's a this i think that's a story for another day because it's not mine to share necessarily <laughs> we'll get all three get all three of you on here and uh and we could talk about it that'll be yeah. cool actually um and so it's that classic sort of uh moonlighting right at least for you you had a demanding full-time job doing branding work and this was sort of the mm-hmm. moonlighting work you were doing um what was that like yeah, that's actually an important part of the story because at the same time that I was doing Kook and I was working full-time at an ad agency, I was also actively freelancing and looking for other jobs and in a relationship. And I was also doing partner at the time. So I was doing all of these things. I don't. I really don't know why I was doing all this. It's really stupid. I don't recommend it, honestly. I think I'm just you know, Enneagram seven or whatever, however you want to cast me, just very not focused. But at the same time, I'm not going to say I did like shit work for any of those things. I think we did great. Um, it was just in the last, I think, couple of years where we were able to focus, but, you know, to get into it, like, so I worked at a um, ad agency full time that required like a lot of travel. It required long hours. I was under the worst fucking manager of my entire life. Um, and yet we just kind of grinded through it. You know, uh, we met maybe by week every two times a week at a place in Atlanta called the gathering spot. We, you know, we just did product. We did all the stuff at night, basically. Um, it was funny if you saw my setup, it was like, I always had two computers. One was like my work computer and one was my real computer where I did everything else. And so, kind of just live life like that. Like I also had two journals. I always had two journals because one was for my corporate bullshit and the other one was for the real stuff. And I always thought to myself, when is the day I'm going to have one computer and one notebook? <laughs> <laughs> and now I look in front of me, I'm like, I have one computer and one notebook and it's an amazing feeling. What <laughs> What made you want to compartmentalize? That's so funny. <laughs> there was one, I think that week, just past that week when you... uh or leaving the job, you specifically said to me, 
I'm mailing back this computer. Like, like it was such a big moment for you. And now I understand the significance of <laughs> years yeah. of having this like compartmentalized thing. Like I was like, that's good, Dave. And I'm glad you're like, you know, returning the computer, but it was this like big moment. Like I can see the thing. <laughs> I can see the significance now, but um, it is huge. But w- what made you want to compartmentalize it? Like create, I mean, that's, mm. it's just sort of, it's, it's like un- inconvenient, but you, you. Well, I mean, you one thing is like, I don't want to get caught doing other stuff mm. on my work computer. <laughs> that was probably a big one. But the other thing is like, you know, for me, it's like <clears throat> that, that question, why did you compartmentalize essentially is the heart of going into entrepreneurship. It, it's like, why did you do so many things? It's because I wanted to dip my toe in entrepreneurship without giving up the security of the full-time thing. And I'm sure we'll get into this, but I ha- I couldn't go into partner or stat or any of these things until recently because it was mostly financial. Like at this time I was engaged, getting ready to get married. You know, this was like the last few years. And so I had to save up money for a ring. I had to save up money for the wedding itself, all this type of stuff. And so for me, finances were a really big part of it. I just needed that like constant paycheck. Um, Gook and stat slash partner at the time were just ways for me to keep the momentum going, I guess, of this other part of me, right? Because the days I was at work, it was just soul sucking for the most. I mean, some days it was great and fun. I, you know, I've I had amazing colleagues. I'll never disrespect them. They're, they're incredible people. <clears throat> and we had good times, but at the same time for me, just being there was not it. Um, but at the same time I needed money. <laughs> so the proverbial and, I mean, cycle. Yeah. And it's easy to, you know, put good and bad and sort of black and white that situation. But mm-hmm. I do think there was prudence in that, right. Especially at that time of your life, like looking at what, looking at your life. And I think in, in that way, moonlighting is, it's not in one way it can be said as being indecisive and not making the leap. But I also see it as it being, mature and prudent and actually wanting to do the work enough without having sort of the stakes of like, you know, what can you make things work? But do you see it that way? Or do you, do you, do you feel like you see it as like, still, I wish I could have made the jump earlier? No, I think, I don't think, (laughs) I don't think other parts of my life would have survived if I did that. That would have been really selfish for me. Right. But I, I do think that there, there was a learning in the waiting. Mm. I, I know there's there's also a lot of learning in the jumping. So I'm mm. not going to, they're not, one's not better than the other, but the learning in the waiting for me was every single day I had to ask myself, fuck, I have to go to work. I have to do this thing I don't want to do. And at, at night I have to come back home and do these other things that I want to do. When will I ever <clears throat> do the things I want to do full time? Is the wait worth it? Or should I just should I just, you know, let myself go to the realities of the world and just give my all to corporate America, you know, mm. uh, surrender to surrender to the, to the boss man, basically. Cause it's easier. And, yeah. It's, it's so much easier. Like, and, and I think that is the trial of the weight and, you know, like, especially in venture capital and Silicon Valley in all the, kind of people that have power there look for people to jump fast 
like to make these big risky decisions, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. which I understand. Cause like, if you don't value the company enough to um, quit your job, then what other company will, what other person will. But at the same time for me, it was like, you know, way, a lot of weighing and waiting and, and actually believing that a better moment in the future would come, you know, I actually think looking back, if I had jumped a couple years ago, I don't think it would have been the right thing actually for the company because mm. what we needed at the time wasn't, I mean, we always needed, you know, myself and Amanda, but what we really needed was just more uh, development focus. That was, that's always been our need. And so mm-hmm. it didn't really make sense if I look back. And so, yeah, the discipline for me and the growth was around knowing that my time will come and that time will be better for the company. Um, so, yeah. And, and what I'm hearing you say when you say that is like, there's a, your own personal subjective, like, I just want to have this alignment and clarity in, in what I'm doing and, and autonomy and agency of what I'm doing. But there's also this, the reality of the situation where in, in one sense, the company didn't need you to be there full time things, but there's also this, and, and, and it, it, it comes in sort of later on, like when we started talking, but almost this product market fit that's happening where as soon as you guys really started talking about it and going into it, there seemed to be like this tide that was coming in for developers and, and engineers and, and bringing that culture together. And so I, do you see it that way in terms of like, there was a timing of when the startup was able to sort of fully realize and be birthed into the world as opposed to the development process yeah. or. Well, I think it's interesting because like the problem was <clears throat> the problem we're solving is a 30 year problem. It started with the advent of development mm. and mm. development teams. And even um, a little bit later down the, the advent of agile methodology and way to think about just all of these things. But at the same time, uh, the marketplace is changing. And to Minnow's point, like there are, there's a niche right now. Not a, It's not even a niche. There's a market that's just developing for developers, tools for developers. So as this market grows, we grow. And it's really interesting you ask that question because we um, actually talked to a founder of a different company who um, was building something very similar to us. Um, I think that they shut down recently and I think they're a little too early. So, you know, it's it, obviously hindsight is 2020, but I do think that there is something to the timing that maybe it makes more sense now. Maybe people are more used to this language or these ideas now. Yeah. And so, so just, to, yeah, like that bigger reality of the current of the situation and you sort of biding your time and being strategic about where you put your energy, but also that tension of, but I want to live my life. Like, let me live my life. Let me do the thing that like, I'm a bird and I want to fly, you know, like that, that sort of feeling. Um, I'd love if, if, if there's anything more you want to talk about that, I, you know, I'd love to hear it. Cause I think for a lot of people, it is, it is that when do I make the transition? What does that look like? Mm. So let me think about that. I mean, that's, I think the, I mean, for me, the, the way I interpret the question is, how do I balance my energies mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in order to stay um, productive and hopeful and optimistic? So for me, when I was in, and so I've been in the 
basically like advertising or consulting, kind of consulting or branding world for my whole career, which means that, and we talked a little bit about this in my last, in, our, in the last podcast, but which means that my time was never my time. My time was always billed to a client. It was always, if I wasn't spending every waking hour doing something related to the company or to the company's clients, I was basically at risk, right? And so how do you, and so that basically incentivizes people in that career to stay busy or at least to appear busy. And so for me, that was a big, big energy suck because, you know, especially in, in some of the places I worked, like, you know, like, let's be honest, like the work, and we talked about this last time too, but the work isn't like that hard. It doesn't really take 40, 80, 120 hours to do this work. Like if you really sit down and think and talk, you could probably do it in a couple of weeks, not working full time. You probably do it, you know, like, I don't know. 16 hours, like reality. But the, the issue is that you have to be busy. You have to work through all this like, you know, bullshit. And so for me, like the the real challenge was balancing the fatigue from dealing with politics and yeah. that kind of like the the stress and pressure of re- of knowing that my time is not my own to the extent that I have to fill up my time and dealing with that fatigue and, I realized it's like the only way I could deal with that fatigue was to work on the things that energized me. Mm. And so mm. that's like kind of counterintuitive. It's like, it's almost like when people say, if you're tired, you should exercise. Mm-hmm. And if you're someone that doesn't like exercising like me for a long time, I just hated that. Mm-hmm. You know, it didn't make any sense to me. Mm-hmm. And so to hear that probably for you know a lot of folks is probably a very annoying thing to hear. And I, I apologize, but for me, that was the only way to really keep up the optimism. Because at the end of the day, like especially with entrepreneurship, making the jump, all of these things, it's all about it's all about your mindset and your and your optimism. If you don't have like yeah. a, almost a false sense of hope yeah. or a stupid sense of hope, I guess. If you don't have a stupid <laughs> yeah. sense of hope for the future, you won't be able to maintain the energy needed to create and maintain momentum for the thing you want. Showing up every day. Yes. I'll give you a concrete example. I would go to work. I lived pretty far from like, uh, let me talk about, yeah, I I would go to work. I would drive like 30, 45 minutes. I hated that drive. It sucked. (laughs) I had to do it twice a day and you know, blah, blah, blah. And then I would get to work. And the first thing I would do is like make coffee and try not to work basically. And then the rest of my day was me sitting in meetings, you know, or wondering what am I really supposed to be doing? What are other people doing? Are other people like caring or seeing what I'm doing or not doing? It's just like a lot of these things, right? Over every single day, over and over. And, um, and then I get home and it's like five, six, seven. I know I'm supposed to do a few things. I know I'm supposed to eat a light dinner and now I'm supposed to exercise and then i'm supposed to work on any number of my side projects um half the time i wanted to just pour like five or six drinks and just go to sleep but then that sucks the next day like really bad so for the most part for me it was just 
get home. I wouldn't eat a good dinner. I probably wouldn't exercise and <laughs> just open up my other computer and get, get to just chatting with Amanda, catching up, um, chatting with, or Paul, I live with Paul. So talk to Paul, but you know, like, I think it's like those small things that are the grind. The the grind is the small choices of what I'm trying to say because it's it's so ordinary. It's not spectacular. It's not it doesn't yeah. feel like it it doesn't feel invigorating. It doesn't feel inspirational. It's very small gestures that yeah. add up to momentum is what I'm trying to say, which is what, you know like I don't know if it came through that way but it's it is as simple as getting home and maybe foregoing some things in order to just open up your laptop and think about the things that you want to think about. It's that small. It's as that. It's like, you know, it's like when people are like encouraging you to work out, they don't say go do a hundred pushups. They say, yeah. put on your workout clothes. Yeah. That's, that's the step. Yeah. You know? And so that's what I kind of like want to draw the comparison to, but hopefully that helps. And I think the conversation becomes, um, like when people talk about it, 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 it looks glamorous or it's great in hindsight because yes. they're talking about the cumulative effects of that grind. And so mm-hmm. in an interview or something, they say, oh, it, it was two years before it came out. And, it, and it's just a sen- like a part of a sentence, mm. but it's two years of someone's life pushing this thing uphill, you know, literally 1% at a time. And you don't see what's happening until these moments. And you had, you know, even with Gook, you had like an event and that event was this amazing event that was, but it's like, one thing of months and months or years of, of, of the work that you're doing. And so this punctuated look at what you're doing, it, it's, it's nice in a story, but you had to live it through and you can't do that without what you were saying, that almost false sense of optimism or hope that's there mm-hmm. um, yeah. in the work that doesn't guarantee anything. Um, yeah. I, I think it's like, what is your, um, what's the word I'm looking for? What's your threshold for false starts? Mm-hmm. I think that's an amazing question to ask if you want to be an entrepreneur because we have so many false starts. So is, what is that? It means like there's a moment where you think this is the moment. There's mm-hmm. momentum. There's something here. We're going to go. We're going to go. And then it's like, nope. You're, I mean, at least for me, that happens weekly. <laughs> <laughs> like. Like a good example, last so week. Bad. No, yeah, last <laughs> week. So we have this like kind of internal grow, goal for growth for uh, customer signups. And last week we had a huge week. I mean, it's not huge in, compared to other companies, but for us it was huge. We had like something like 25 signups that week. Wow. And so what happened was we asked our customer advisory board to post about our announcement. Like we're kind of, you know, we're pre-beta, but we're here come sign up. It was kind of like that kind of um, casual, but it it worked. Like there was a big sign up, and then, and so we're like, Oh, okay. This is good momentum. Let's, let's use this momentum. Let's see what happens next week. This week, definitely not 25. It was, you know, solid number. We saw definitely great conversion rates and stuff, but it was not 25. And so how do you deal with that? How do you deal with oh shit, we had this crazy week. It was awesome, blah, 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 blah. People are signing up and they can't even use a tool. Amazing. This week it's, you know, not as good. And so I think it's 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 being able to take it in, learn from it. And still, the, I think the real key here is have optimism for this week, for tomorrow, 
tomorrow's Monday and say, we, you know, we don't really know, but we're going to work to hit more than our best week mm-hmm. with the learnings we had from our not as good week. week mm-hmm. you know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if that's that optimism is that optimism is really hard to um, grow in somebody. It's really hard to teach. It's hard to learn for a lot of folks. It's you got to just have it, you know, I don't know. And, and I think it start. I, I think that's why I started with um, asking to Amanda and Paul because doing it by yourself. I mean, that's even worse. <laughs> Cannot imagine. <laughs> but you have a you have a team. You have people that are in it with you. Um, and I, and even the people that's using it, they're actual people, right? If to you it can look like metrics and it can look like signups and numbers and 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 you know, monthly recurring revenue goals and stuff, but it's like people that the product will be used for that can actually make a group of people feel better and feel better about their work and have more clarity. And I think that conversation is lost a lot. I mean, in tech, especially probably startup world and things like that, but just the fact that everything is built on relationship and do people really want to use the product and, and, and does it make their lives better? Yeah. It really is. I mean, that's kind of like a key insight into why we built Stat is because at the end of the day, our core customer are managers. So middle managers, not mm-hmm. people that are you know new or just individual contributors, not even executive leadership. They're all mm-hmm. the, the millions of Americans that are in the, you know, actually not Americans, workers that are kind of in that middle bracket and they're very underserved in general. You know, most business analytics are not built for them. But those are the people that run the companies, you know, those are the ones that keep small daily changes going, you know, they keep fires from happening every single day. And so I think they felt like, oh, this is for, this is for me, exactly Mm -hmm. me and not for my boss or Mm. not for the people I manage. It's exactly Mm. for me. I think there's something pretty unique there um, to your point about, yeah, we're building for people. I think people appreciate that. Um, And so I think, just to put the nice bow and the alignment story um, together, like it was, it's now almost five months, almost six months since you, since you made the jump um, last year to doing full-time work. And so curious how the pandemic sort of exacerbated or (laughs) didn't help your, you know, this corporate compartmentalizing that you were doing and, and talk about, sort of the, yeah. turn, the tipping point of, of making the jump after years of doing this um, at, the, yeah. at the same time. So we had a huge like um, planning meeting early January of 2020. Uh, you know, we had all these goals and these ideas, but then kind of something happened with, within our team. Um, and, you know, so stuff got, it's stuff had to change. We had to react to the situation at, at the hand and then COVID happened. So everything changed for us. Um, in terms of the corporate world. Yeah. That was really rough on me because I, I, I would say it's, it was rough and it was really good. It was really good because I really love remote work for the most part. <laughs> and <laughs> Like I love it so much because even like at my, even before the last job I quit the job I was at before, I, the, one of the things I asked my manager 
early on was like, what is the remote work policy? And this was like a more old school person. And she was like, what is that? We don't do that. You need to be here. You know, like you need to be here to contribute. Mm. All those small side conversations, that doesn't happen on the internet. You need to be here. And I was mm. like, okay, cool. And then at my six month review with that person, she was like, I was like, what are some soft skills I can work on? She was like, stop asking me to work remote. <laughs> so that's how much I loved it, that that was part of my performance. It's not a Anyways. soft skill, but okay. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so, so coming back to the uh, 2020, I mean, it was, it was good in that I loved the remote work. The flexibility was fucking dope because I could, the mixture of stuff was more simple, you know, like me going in and out of thinking about stat and, you know, whatnot was much better. It was easier, easier to handle. No travel. That was amazing. Like not having to travel for work was amazing. Hour and a half of your day given back to you all of a yeah, sudden. <laughs> not just, not just in my city, but like outside, like I didn't have to go on a plane for anything, which was cool too. Cause I was doing like these weird trips to Salt Lake city um, that were just so long and the ride was terrible and all that stuff. So that was amazing. But from a, and we, we touched on this lightly, but I think, you know, with, so, so many things happened, COVID happened and then a lot of attention towards Black Lives Matter happened and stuff was happening, obviously at, at every company, every company in America was like, how do we face this? Mm-hmm. I was in, at the time, I'm like, I'm pretty vocal about stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think certain people, specifically leaderships felt I was um, disrespectful in my vocalization, which we can definitely talk about later. But I mean, basically I was just told to shut the fuck up and, and relax and get to work, do my job, Um, which I started to do. Um, But at the same time, I was realizing that there's a lot of things coalescing here. It was like, that experience was sorry. That experience was shitty, obviously, but at the same time, the work was getting more and more stressful. We're um, not, I, we weren't organized well, right? Mm-hmm. So that was also stressful. Mm-hmm. You know, like imagine trying to figure out how to do the work while mm-hmm. doing the work. That mm-hmm. was kind of like what I was doing for all of 2020 for all mm-hmm. of my projects, and so that was stressful. And then, um, yeah, the last kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back was just a lot of stuff happening with the way I was being perceived in the firm Mm -hmm. because I was being too vocal about shit on social media, which I admit is stupid. I don't want to tell people like go bash your company on social media. Not that that, uh, that's what I was doing necessarily, but that was stupid of me. Right. And I, I learned a lot from that, but at the same time, while all this was happening, you know, like, stressful stuff trying to figure out how to do the work while we're doing the work Mm -hmm. um tension between leadership and me Mm -hmm. at the same time we got our google grant so we got a hundred thousand dollars in non-dilutive funding from google because we were a part of a programming like kind of an accelerator program called google for startups they had a new fund that they created within google and we are one of the, I think, 76 particip- or recipients of that non-dilutive wow. funding. Non-dilutive funding just means that they don't, normally in any kind of funding, the person giving out the funding wants something in return. Usually it's in the form of equity. Usually mm-hmm. for early growth startups like us, it's high percentage, 20, 30% of your company for wow. a hundred to million dollar check, depending on where you're at. 
which is not a great exchange if you ask me. And so, no. so this was huge for us. So the, um, at the time I was having all of this like stress and tension at work, right? Like people were kind of suspicious of me or like, uh, is he on board? Is he on board with this, with us? Like, we don't know. That was a question I'm sure a lot of people were asking. And at the same time, I was like, okay, I have to, in the next few weeks, announce, we have to announce that we had gotten this funding. It was, it was, it was not a mandate, but like Google was just setting everyone up for success for the announcement. Yeah. Yep. Like they were helping out with PR, all that stuff. And so in my head, I was like, what the fuck do I do? How do I announce that I am a co-founder of Stat that just received this funding from Google while working at the job that is very suspicious of my loyalty to the job? Yeah. <laughs> so stressful. Like that whole, and every day I was like, oh my fucking God, what do I do? And the days like, and we were given like, I think it was a Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was a Wednesday. I don't know. It was a Wednesday. It was a Wednesday. Yeah. We're told Everyone's. we're going to post all the funding recipients. This is from Google. We're going to post all the funding recipients on Wednesday. Everybody, please match your communications to launch on Wednesday. So, you know, obviously I was doing my day job and at night I would be writing, I would be writing our communications, our PR strategy, all that stuff. And at, at the back of my mind, I'm like thinking, I'm going to have to post this too. Because here's the thing. If we got the funding and I, as a co-founder, did not post about it, it would look really I personally think it would look really bad for Sat. Yeah. yeah. And at the same time, if I post and let my company know <laughs> that I'm a co-founder at Stat, it's going to look really bad. Okay. So the day comes oh, and I'm man. like, oh, fuck it. All right. Here we go. That's it. That's all I could do. I was like, I don't know what's going to happen to me because of this, this decision, but we're just going to go. This was probably the biggest gamble I've made so far. It, you, were, you were seriously weighing not saying anything. You were yes, weighing the fact that you were just not going to just let it pass and, and, and not say anything. Yeah. I yeah. And I will, that. and I'll say this, like I was talking to Amanda and Paul about it and Amanda was like, you know, okay. kind of do whatever you need to do. Mm-hmm. But this is a kind of a big moment for us. Mm-hmm. And I agree with her, you know, it's not like she's mm-hmm. pressur- pressuring me or anything. Mm-hmm. And so Wednesday comes and I'm like, Oh fuck it. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. So I post, I post on my LinkedIn that we received this funding and I am, the co-founder of Stat. I changed my LinkedIn title from Everything. S- senior strategist at whatever place to co-founder at Stat. <laughs> so I do this. I don't know, like when did I, probably sometime in the morning, um, and right away, almost immediately, I get start getting calls. Like my manager calls me. The uh, the leader some of the leadership at the agency calls me and, and people are just like what the fuck is going on right and then um that's kind of really when now i want to say went downhill but it was just like the writing was on the wall from that moment like the way that it was reacted to me like i had the conversation with one of the leaders and this person was just like maybe it does make more sense for you to go full, all in on something like this yeah you know, basically it was like, we don't, we don't necessarily see how you're going to do this and do this other thing at the same time here. And, um, so yeah, I mean, so we posted and then I guess just a few months later, I was like, man, we can't, this is not going to work. This is not going to work. My wife, my wife 
you know, got her a job offer. She signed it, sent it back. And I was just like, in a couple of weeks, so I'm just going to quit. And that's going to be it. And so that's what happened. I mean, there's a lot of stuff there that we can talk about, but I will say like yeah. one of the few things is like, you know, especially in like creative organizations, entrepreneurship is often um, encouraged. Like yeah. it's especially now, like side gigs are vogue. Yeah. You know, hustle, yeah. like do yeah. that thing. It's like something that a lot of agencies are like, yeah, our people hustle. It's cool. Yeah. But when the fucking, you know, when it comes to it, it's not that it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's just not possible. Right. And it's not, it's not good for the company and it's not good for you either. And so yeah, I was kind of, you know, posed with this. I don't know. It was like, almost almost like the, the universe was like forcing me into a decision right there. Yeah. That was, yeah. you know, like the decision I had to make, um, you know, looking back, it was a good decision. I think it, the, the convergence was real. It was really yeah. like it, it collided at that. This thing that you had two notebooks, two computers, it was like melding into one. And it's like, you have to choose one over the other at that moment for what you want to do. And I, I, I even remember you, I, I think you um, left the company like earlier than you thought in your head that you gave mm-hmm. yourself, like, this is happening. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm going to tell, do this. Be like, but why, why am I, wh- why is this happening when all the forces are sort of yeah. telling me otherwise? That's a good point. When did I quit? Exactly? I think I quit it like the third week of October, mm-hmm. but I had made the, deci- made, made the announcement like sometime in September, mm-hmm. I think. And I was going to be, I was just thinking the whole time and, you know, talking to Minnow and a bunch of other folks, obviously, but I'll just quit in the new year or in December. Right. Uh, you know, it's it, it's not that big of a rush. We don't really know where we'll be ge- geography wise. We don't really know what's happening with COVID, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but as soon as yeah, that convergent moment happened when I just announced that we got this funding, it was as if everything else started just to lay itself out there. Um, and I will say this: like at work, I was also having conversations around. <laughs> I was having conversations around like uh, promotions and um, just overall growth and development. And so it's really interesting because I was, okay, wow. I forgot about some of this stuff. I was also, so I was, okay, let me talk about that first. I was doing, having a lot of conversations about growth and development and what, what, what's my next title? Where am I, what are my skills I'm supposed to grow to be at that next level? Like, I mean, it was a new company, so obviously all of these things weren't in place. But I think because of a lot of things like the announcement and you know stuff that happened over the summer with kind of the way I was seen, me asking for a growth plan was me was I think heard as David demanding a promotion. Hmm. And so that was another hmm. like layer of like, okay, so how do I grow in this sector in this? Um, field of work if I'm being seen in this way, right? Mm. And so it added to the question of why the fuck am I doing this? If there's no Mm -hmm. plan for me, Mm -hmm. why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. So that added to it. At the same time, I was actively applying to other jobs. Like I was, I don't know, I was on like a streak. And that, that, I think this is going to be really confusing to a lot of listeners. It's like, why would you be doing that? Like, why would you be 
at a job and trying to do a startup, but at the same time applying for other jobs. And for me, like the logic at the time at least was, if I'm going to have to work for the next six months, six to 12 months, I'd rather work somewhere where I'm getting paid more and learning things that are more applicable to what I'm going to end up doing. Because I was doing such high level strategy at most of my jobs. I didn't have too much like boots on the ground experience with marketing, mm-hmm. meaning mm-hmm. like how to actually do a paid search campaign, how to run Facebook ads, like that kind of stuff. You know, I was looking for more of like that kind of experience. And it, funny enough, none of the jobs I had or opportunities worked out. Like there was one that I was pretty sure it was a shoe in, um, but it didn't work out. And so, yeah, basically it's like, okay, your future at the place you're at is questionable at best. Mm-hmm. There are no other jobs out there for you that are mm-hmm. going to take you on right now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you have to make some big announcements and decisions in the next few months. Like this is, this was all that was happening. This And, you know, with my wife, it's like she was interning at the time and applying for new jobs and uncertain mm-hmm. about what's going to happen with her. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of uncertainty that we're all just like wrestling with. Um, and financially I was, you know, she was interning, but for the most part, it was just a, a consistent one income household. It was mm-hmm. just me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. <sighs> <laughs> what was the question originally? I don't remember, but like, I hope that answered the question of like what it took to make the decision. It, it I mean, that's it's, it. It was a storyline, right? Of what, yeah, of what it took, and and what was the what were the steps of, of that happening? And I think last time we talked about just the before and after of feeling the calm of doing the one thing of, of feeling the autonomy and agency of going after, going after the one thing. But yeah, I, I really appreciate the, the fiery and the, and sort of the almost um, real time explanation of what's happening. Cause I, I feel like it captures what you're saying of how a lot of people do feel. And a lot of my clients that I do, you know, it's like, I hate this job, this toxic job. And I want to do this. I want to do that. And, and, and the conversation it, it happens on multiple layers. You know, it happens on that sort of ground layer of, of who you are in alignment. It happens on th- stuff completely outside of your control. Who knew Google was just going to do that? Like that was just out of left field and, and left such field. an accelerant of, of what was happening, the, the market and everything that was happening and, and, and the place where, you know, you were almost right on time and not too early or too late in, in doing this um, company. And so, I don't know. I'm, I'm, it's great. You had two other co-founders to sit there and, and sort of be in the trenches with, um, and even Angela's job, like changing your wife's job. That's sort of like, it was like a baton kind of thing. It's like, I'm doing this, here you go. And then financially and moving and that, but then you're doing this. And so again, looking back in hindsight, this whole conversation could be a five minute you know, interview answer, right. Of like, yep, I was working on it for three years and then Google <laughs> gave us this thing and, you know, my wife, and then we moved and now we have step. like, it could yeah, be yeah. so simple, but yeah, I appreciate this drawn out sort of really rant at times of you speaking because it, it, it is what people go through and it's hard. Yeah. No one talks about it because they feel like they're the only person or no one else will understand or, or, and then there's so much wrapped up in it about themselves. Yeah, it's like it's really the the juice is in the particulars. 
mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. I and I don't know if this is helpful, but I am a podcast addict junkie. Like <laughs> you know, like I've listened, and especially there's this one podcast. I'm sure everybody listens to it. How I built this. I think I've listened to every single episode of How I Built This. And some episodes I've listened to many, many times. Wow. Because it's like I wanted that. I crave that entrepreneurship thing. Yeah. But even in those podcasts, they don't really talk about too many of these. I mean, there are moments where these particulars come out, but but not like really what is ha- what was going on yes. in life yes. at the time. Yes. You know? Um, yeah, it's... it's and I'm trying to think like, how is this helpful to anybody? And I think for me, the way I would maybe like repackage it, that self gratuitous rant into something helpful is like, I think one is normalizing the false start feel for a lot of people, mm-hmm. like, or normalizing the questioning of when is it now? For me, the question of when was not even answered when I did the thing, like I wasn't even sure what's going to happen even once I made the Google announcement. And so I think the question of when is just, just make that a part of your life. If this is, you know, entrepreneurship and different kind of lifestyle is something that you aspire to just make that a thing. Um, And the second is, you know, like I think it's being able to stomach the stress of um, the false starts Mm -hmm. because there are so many of them. And, Stomaching the stress of um, actually balancing your old identity, really, because that's what it is. Balancing your old identity and what you see to be your new one. Mm. So, so there's a lot there, right? There's like who you are and what you, because in our culture, who you, what you do is largely who you are. That is yeah. a fucking mind fuck. And I hate that concept, yeah. but it's true for a lot of people, right? Yeah. And so, you transitioning out of that into doing something else, therefore being becoming something else, someone else, that that kind of moment, that dissonance in the middle is extremely painful. Yeah. And for you know, whatever it's worth, there's not gonna be many people in your life that have done that or do that. Yeah. Because That's it's unlearning. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's hard. It's weird. Yeah. It's not normal. Yeah. But I think it's important to say that what you're what you're going through is necessary yeah and it's gonna help you in the future at when when you kind of are i guess dealing with all of the new struggles of of this yeah. new role and this new identity whatever this new path yeah because that i would almost say that that middle ground that step between now and tomorrow is it may be even more painful than all of this other stuff because well said because you have to leave things behind right and um, where, where do you think you are in that journey between now and tomorrow it's, it's funny because we're still i think in that liminal weird dissonant space because we don't have a we're very close but our product's still not um demoable for customers so we're we're building a company and momentum from the promise and the value proposition. So we're still there, you know. We're still in that like, uh, like, are we? What? What? You know, like, yeah. feeling of it. <laughs> we're we're not really doing it yet. Uh, we we are doing it, but yeah, yeah. You know? And so, I think for me, it's 
I, I'm so glad to have gone through that because this, it, it does feel uncomfortable, right? Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mm-hmm. feel, it's not overwhelming. It's, mm-hmm. there is something like, okay, even though we don't have a demoable product, if we can get people excited about the prop, the idea of it, mm-hmm. what does that mean? Mm-hmm. How do we do that better? How do we do that more? How do we grow this despite that? Right. And so, yeah, I, I would say like, for me, I'm still obviously in that strange middle ground, but but tr- from a career transition standpoint, I'm mm-hmm. completely, mm-hmm. I think, transitioned. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like, how do we, t- I don't know if this is getting too long, but if we can talk about it just a little bit, like, for me, the biggest change is the removal of, um, of, of like eyes. Just like, I, I kind of always felt like there was somebody watching me. Wow. You know what I'm saying? Man. Like someone's even, always even like, remote, even remote. It felt even that remote. Way too. There's like yeah. you, there are some like, obviously there are cultural and social pressure in yep. companies. Like, yep. you know? And so for me, it was like the performative nature of corporate work was exhausting. And so yeah. f- to remove that performative nature and just to be truly myself in all of these various areas, has lifted me to the point where I have excess creative energy, mm-hmm. right? Like nowadays, not like I can work out. Like, this is the crazy thing. When I was at the places I worked, you can't just leave and work out. Right. That's not a thing. That's, out, that's just an hour billing for the client, not for yeah, yourself. No, yeah. you can't do that. You yeah. know, maybe go eat lunch, but yeah. make it fast and come back. And so, you know, for me, it's like being able to have the space and time to work out like a couple times a day. I being able to eat healthier or like actually make lunch, you know, like all these things or um, not feel like I have to perform with my co-founders. We're all just Jeez. completely ourselves um, has given me enough space where I feel like I have more to give, mm. you know, and I was telling men of this, I'm like, and I, I was telling other people too, but like this feeling like maybe I can create more stuff. Maybe I can create more content. Maybe I can write a little bit more. And it's that kind of, that, that is crazy. That, that like the only thing between me, the person I was and the person I am now and the things I'm able to do now. Well, not the only thing, but the, the thing that you overcame, um, what what's on the other side of it is so much better. Like, cause I think if there were a list of the things that you you're doing right now, just on a numerical basis <clears throat> would be just as long as what you were doing a couple of years ago with all yes. the side projects and stuff you're doing, but the quality and what it is and who you are between those two lists are completely different now. Yeah. And, and yeah, no, I was just going to say like the mental taxing, the emo- the st- I, okay, so I don't. This is really weird about me, but I was never really like easily stressed. At least that's how I self-analyzed. I bet other people say I'm lying, but I didn't really <laughs> feel like I was easily stressed, and um, or at least I didn't notice my stress. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I didn't know that I was stressed if I was, but not being that stressed about like where I stood with certain people or blah, blah, blah. That kind of stuff was so life-changing for me. And, may, and maybe that's not really an, uh, um, 
the dichotomy between corporate life and entrepreneurship. It's just like the cultures I was a part of. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think maybe for those of you that are looking to, are thinking about like self-employment or entrepreneurship as a path, maybe it's not, maybe it's not. And what you really want is a better culture. That's great. Better work That's culture. That's great, Dave. Yeah. Because yeah. I don't think entrepreneurship is necessarily for everybody and doesn't have to be. It's not this fucking like perfect lifestyle. I don't make money. <laughs> People need to also know that. <laughs> I don't make any money right now. Um, <laughs> so um, I do think like, yeah, there's something about the culture of where you're working as a as the biggest contributor to your stress or lack thereof. I love that. And and I don't think this is a self-gratuitous rant as you were calling it. And <laughs> I, I, I really don't. And that how I built this interviews, they may not try to make this a very simple story. You know, they're not trying to make it an overly glamorous story about building up however many billion dollar company, but it's because they forget. They forget yeah. everything that you just talked about. And again, I appreciate it because this is sort of a timestamp in this time in your life. And you'll go back and you're like, oh yeah, this, this is what really mattered and what didn't matter. And this is how I felt about it. And I think mm -hmm. all of this on a bigger scale is about personal growth and what that growth looks like. And this is just this compressed time of you growing in this really painful, but um, really fruitful way and entrepreneurship and, and having a business, it's all a part of what that looks like. And I think yeah, I think I think this podcast and what we're starting and where I met you is just this really giant step towards a big part of your growth that's been happening. Agreed. Oh, that was that was good. You got stuff off time. your chest, man. That was great. Thank you, man. That was really great. Next week, I'll uh, it'll be my turn to go on a on a rant. But um, I'm so excited <laughs> because next week is. I mean. So I looked at my phone the other day and yeah. um, around this year, around this, no, a couple of days ago was when Minnow and I first talked about doing Upstream. Really? Yeah. You're right. Oh my goodness. You're right. Because I got this um, photo memory of me sitting in this coffee shop, which is in the town I'm in right now. And we were talking about it that day. I just so it's going to be really exciting because what, when we talked about the podcast, there was a lot happening, COVID, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. And then Minnow's life completely changed with COVID. Yeah. And so there's a lot. Yeah. This, uh, the new season two of the podcast is <laughs> aligns with, you know, so a lot of change. Yeah. yeah. And again, just to think David around this time and David, you now, you know, and where I was before and where I am now, but yeah thank you man thanks for sharing and thanks for next time next time great. it's my turn <laughs> i love to be in i was a professional interviewer for my whole career that's really what i did so get oh god i'm scared now all right <laughs> talk to you later all right bye thanks listeners